Are you listening? Welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines. I'm joined, as always, by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado. And this week by Buff Stampede publisher Adam Monster Tiger, who's here to help us preview Oregon State versus Colorado, a 5 p.m. Pacific game on Pac-12 Network from Research Stadium. First of all, Adam, thanks for joining us. I, I see you've got your your Colorado stuff in the background, so that tells me that you haven't made it to Oregon yet, but I believe you're coming out to Corvallis for the game, correct? That's correct. Yeah, I'm flying out tomorrow morning early on Friday, and uh, my father's stepmother live in Portland, so I look forward to this trip, being able to catch up with them, so try to find some, some type of fish in town and then head out to Corvallis on Saturday morning, but uh, I like the production value on that opening there. That was awesome. <laughs> it's all Carter. And what you didn't see behind the scenes, if you're watching us live on YouTube, thank you for doing so. If you are, uh, is Angie dancing in the in the waiting room? That's kind of our that kind of gets us ready to, to hit the record <laughs> button. So, Angie, how are you doing on this on this Thursday afternoon? I'm good. I mean, you guys saw me last week down in Arizona, and it's kind of stuffy, and now it's kind of turning sinusy. So, I have my hot, trusty tea right here. So, but I'm good. Travel will do that to you. That's, yes, dry uh, that's air. Desert the last, air. Yeah. The last two weeks with Oregon State playing on the road, I, I definitely caught something. Um, dog barking in the background. Hopefully that's not picking up. But um, we're going to jump is that right. Dallas? Yeah, that, that is Dallas. Dallas is going crazy upstairs. There, maybe there's there might be some deer in the in the in the driveway. That's kind of been a thing. Wait, okay, time. so totally just totally off topic. Is Dallas named after Dallas Buck? Dallas is no, Dallas is <laughs> okay. named after the Dallas Cowboys, actually. Okay, okay. Um, but Dallas Buck, that, that'd be creative. Okay. Just um I might have to I might have to excuse myself and let Angie uh host here for just a second while I go attend to that. But um in the meantime, Adam, why don't you tell us and, and the listeners a little bit about yourself and uh, you know, I, I assume you're based in in um in Boulder, if not Denver. I, I met you last year at the at the game out there in Boulder. It was Great to meet you and, and your team, but just uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, how long you've been covering the Buffaloes, um, and of course, we know you're at the game on Saturday, so if you need any recommendations in, in Corvallis, we can be sure to hit you up, too. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, my, I've been uh, the publisher of BuffStampede.com since 2003, so like Angie, been uh, around... Yeah, on the <laughs> networks, uh, we spent some time on Rivals as colleagues and then made the jump to Scout and then over to 24-7 Sports. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been a long journey. And uh, I went to Arizona State, but always wanted to go to Colorado as a kid. Couldn't afford the out-of-state tuition. So when I graduated, I just happened to say to a couple of people at the old Rivals.com, if the Colorado gig ever opens up, please keep me in mind. And was actually close to taking a gig to go cover Virginia Tech in Blacksburg until I got the call that the Colorado gig had opened up and came out here, didn't know anybody. And, and over time, you know, grew roots here and, and now married with three kids and, and two dogs. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately, I've seen a lot of bad football in, in the, la <laughs> the last 20 years. 
but last Saturday, finally, for the first time in a while, there, there were actually some smiles around Boulder. Adam, I mean, you, this is going a little off script, but yes, we have been together a lot as colleagues here, but talk, I, I feel like the Boulder or Colorado team this year, I think Beaver fans actually can identify a lot with what you, you know, with what they're going through. I mean, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit, Carter, you might second this is, was it what, 2017 when Gary Anderson quit? Yeah. Mid, midway through 17. Yeah. yeah. And it's it just a broken team, I guess. Um, how is the kind of the mentality with the players? Well, it's completely shifted. This was a group that liked Carl Durrell, but if you've even just tuned into a Colorado game and seen his sideline demeanor, you could tell that Carl Durrell just did not have much personality, much fire <laughs> to him. And so, yeah, no one around CU's program wished Carl Durrell to get fired, but when he was and Mike Sanford was named the interim head coach, so much energy was infused into the program and they just desperately needed that. Gerald Chapman, who got named their new defensive coordinator because they had fired Chris Wilson as well on October 2nd, takes over and same thing, just a lot of energy, a lot of charisma, a guy that these players want to play for. And I don't know what that's going to look like carrying over from the Cal game, you know, on Saturday night in Corvallis. But for at least one Saturday, you saw a group that was just so inspired. And it was such a cool atmosphere. I'm sure there was a lot of people that saw fans rushing Folsom Field, wondering why in the world is this happening? <laughs> but it was just a feeling in Folsom Field that hadn't been there in a long time because uh, the, the head coach in Mike Sanford as the interim is, is just run up and down the sidelines with the towel. And, and it was infectious energy that everybody – really uh, wanted to see on that sideline and, and finally got that. It's funny that you bring that up because Adam, I can guarantee you this. If Oregon state wins on Saturday, you will see the Beaver student section on the field after the game. <laughs> yeah. And you'll think why on earth they just beat a one win team. Like th this team's already won five games. I'll tell you what bowl eligibility is on the line and it's a win. And and at Oregon State, like those two things are not taken for granted right now. And Oregon State student section has has actually been, I think, one of the most energetic groups I have seen uh, in, in recent history, you know, covering covering all these games in the Pac-12 footprint. So if you do see Oregon State fans on the field, um, just know that it, it happens after pretty much every win, because I mean, there's just still so much pent up emotion uh, within this fan base. But because this fan base has seen a lot of bad football, too. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. College football yeah. is supposed to be fun. Yeah. Anybody yeah. that criticizes that, it's like, what what are we doing this for? You know, and, and that was the thing with the Carl Durrell era. It's this it was a respectable guy. You know, I'd love to have Carl Durrell as my neighbor. He's not a bad guy, but just never brought that fun to the game of football. And when you have that personality as a head coach, the players are gonna feed off that. Yeah. And, and that's what we saw. So yeah, I'm glad the, the student section in Boulder storm in the field. And if it happens in Corvallis on Saturday, I just definitely have no judgment against that. <laughs> and and thanks for bringing up the coaching situation, too, because obviously, I mean, that's that, it feels like the storyline out of Colorado, at least, you know, everything that makes its way out of Boulder um, it has been about the coaching staff. And, you know, unfortunately, like college football is about the student athletes. So I, I feel like we want to we want to highlight that a lot. Um, throughout this episode, but we do need to start with the coaching situation. So obviously Carl Durrell was dismissed. Chris Wilson, the, the defensive coordinator as well with him uh, two weeks ago, right before the bye week. So curious, just, you know, with those changes in mind, what you have seen, you mentioned the energy that Mike Sanford has brought, but outside of that, just, you know, that 
specifically speaking, the, the changes in personnel. So Mike Sanford is brought up to, to interim head coach who's filling in at defensive coordinator. Are our guys moving around? What exactly has that situation been like over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, you've seen a lot of changes defensively with Colorado going from Chris Wilson to Gerald Ch Chapman taking over that group. And we heard about these changes taking place by during the bye week. And a lot of us were skeptical. It's really hard to change drastically on either side of the ball mid-season. But it was more putting guys in a better position to suit their, their strengths as players. Robert Barnes had been asked to play inside linebacker, but he's not quite big enough to play in the trenches. So they moved him into a star role, got him a little bit more in space. Terrence Lang had been struggling to get a pass rush as a defensive end. So they, they had him standing up a few times last Saturday, and he got his first sack of the season. It was more comfortable and, and suited his ability to get off the ball and, and get off the quarterback. Uh, they created a position for a true freshman, Aubrey Smith, that didn't have much of a role, but they saw certain skills in him that would really suit them in coverage. So they put him out there for more snaps in the Cal game, and he forced a fumble. So uh, they moved Tyron Taylor from nickel back to safety where they had depth issues, and he Got an interception last Saturday. So it's crazy all the little tweaks they made personnel-wise really panned out in that first game. Uh, but now all that is on film. Cal had to be shocked with as, as much pressure as Colorado brought in that game. That was something they hadn't done early in the season. They had 15 tackles for a loss through the first five games. They had 10 tackles for a loss just last Saturday. So it was a completely different defensive uh, aggression that we saw out of the group. And so Oregon State's seen that now on film, and I'm sure Colorado's going to throw a few new wrinkles in there. But uh, that's what I'm curious to see is with these coaching changes, now that's on film, uh, can they continue to have the success that they did, at least defensively? Offensively, it's pretty similar. Mike Sanford was the offensive coordinator, now the interim head coach. So he handed play calling duties to his good buddy, who's the tight ends coach at Colorado, Clay Patterson. Sanford and Patterson came to Colorado from Minnesota. So they had a lot of trust in each other, having worked together before they even joined Colorado staff. And they have similar thoughts offensively. And, and again, you don't really want to reinvent the wheel offensively midseason. So you didn't see a lot of changes in that, in that side of the ball. Still had execution issues last Saturday against Cal, like they did the first five weeks. So more of the change that was seen with this coaching shakeup was on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, with the, the defense in mind, the numbers going into the, the California game, you know, we're, we're striking. It came, the Buffs came into that game as the worst run defense in the country statistically. You know, they had a pretty good showing against against California there and, and jumped up a few spots. Um, I, I guess I'm just curious, you know, you mentioned the fact that this, this is on tape now and, and Oregon State has seen this new defense. Do you think last week's performance was one of those, all right, we just made a coaching change. Everybody's energized. We've got something that nobody's seen before. Let's you know see what happens. And it turns out well, but then after that, things start to go back downhill again. Do you see that being the case? Or do you think Colorado might have flipped a switch defensively uh, and, and might be able to sustain that kind of performance moving forward? I would say somewhere in the middle of that, because you do have guys, like I mentioned, playing in better spots that suit their strengths defensively. So they shouldn't be the defense we saw the first five weeks when they gave up more than 42 points a game. And like you mentioned, we're the worst run defense in the country. I don't think we're going to see that woeful type of performance out of this Colorado defense going forward, but yeah, it's on film now. And 
really things just came together last Saturday. And let's be honest, Cal, I know they put up uh, uh, points in a few games, but generally that's not a very good offense. So uh, that is the type of offense you want to go against if you want to correct some things defensively. And uh, Jack Plummer missed on a lot of throws in that football game. Cal could have pushed it to a second overtime, but uh, they basically dropped two touchdowns, two touchdown catches in the end zone. So there were things that Cal did offensively that made Colorado's defense look as good as well. So it's going to regress a little bit, I would imagine, going forward. Uh, I would expect Oregon State to, to get more than 35 rushing yards this Saturday for sure, probably by halftime. But uh, this is still going to be a better Colorado defense than what you saw through five games. Moving to the offensive side, I know that the quarterback now, um, Owen McCown is out and they're going with JT Shrout. What can you tell us about, about the quarterback situation? Yeah, Owen McCown is a true freshman and late during Carl Durrell's tenure as head coach here, they got kind of desperate and they, they didn't really want to play Owen McCown because if you see him, he's about 150 pounds. He's very, very tiny. And they wanted him to physically mature a little bit, but they were desperate to have a better showing offensively. So they trotted Owen McCown out there and, and he showed some glimpses of pretty big time potential. It's going to take a little while for him to develop and, physically as well as just growing into the position. He wasn't an early enrollee, so it's impressive as quickly as he picked things up. But he took a shot to the abdomen last week against Cal, and Mike Sanford just didn't look the way he was moving around on the sideline, decided to pull him. They went with J.T. Shrout, and he's got a lot of arm talent, J.T. Shrout does, and that was on display with a couple of those throws late in the Cal win. But he makes questionable decisions sometimes. I know Oregon State fans know about quarterbacks uh, making questionable <laughs> decisions at times. Uh, that's JT Shroud's game, and he does not. He doesn't. He hasn't learned yet to throw with touch. So it's like he fires it in there. There's not much wiggle room. If it's not a perfect pass, the receiver can't really adjust to it. So uh, that's been the issue with him at, at CU so far. Uh, but he does have the ability to to throw deep and really stretch the field. Um, I would just imagine uh, it'll be a game on Saturday if the weather's not too bad that you'll see JT Shrout trying to stretch the field out deep and Oregon State will probably get a couple more interceptions than they typically would just because of some of the decisions that he makes. As Jamie Vinnick from Coog Fan said last week, the offense is an adventure. <laughs> Sounds like we, Colorado may be. Yes, yeah, we, because we, Oregon State's offense is bit. an adventure too. Adventure uh, sounds sounds uh, a little nicer. More, more more fun than what yeah. uh, Buff fans yeah. have seen. I mean, <laughs> right. this is a team that it took uh, four weeks for them to score at least 20 points. And then last week they needed overtime to get 20 points. So it's been a struggle on that side of the ball for the Buffs for sure. At the quarterback position, Brendan Lewis entering the transfer portal was uh, another, you know, newsworthy point out of, out of, uh, out of Boulder this week. So you're looking at a quarterback room without Owen McCown, without Brendan Lewis, you know, JT Shrout has played a few games, but uh, I mean, if we're being honest, hasn't looked great doing so. The fourth quarterback in that conversation is is Drew Carter, who Oregon State fans, I'm sure, are somewhat familiar with um, coming from Tiger. You know, he's a standout at Tiger High School here. He's coming home for this game. I assume he's going to be on the sidelines ready to go. Is there any chance, you know, let's say something happens to JT Shrout or, or you know, he's he's not playing well. Does Colorado give Drew Carter a look in this game potentially? Yeah, I expect Drew Carter to be the backup in this football game on Saturday, and, and that's a nice little jump for him. He was fourth string on the depth chart a week ago at this time. So 
he's got some skills. He kind of split time growing up playing basketball as well. And he even practiced some with the, the Colorado basketball team last winter because he just loves the game of basketball so much. And so I actually, I'll, I'll stop you right there. I actually played against him in basketball a, a couple of okay. years. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of hurt his development as a quarterback a little bit, I think, just because he loves the game of basketball so much, but he's got some good skills. He got in a couple games last year. Didn't get, it was basically mop up duty. So he didn't really have a lot of chance to, to showcase his ability, but uh, with Brandon Lewis moving on, the, the writing was on the wall there. He wasn't going to play in Boulder again. So uh, it's good for him to move on and it's good for Drew Carter now to at least have some, some shot to, to kind of get on the field uh, obviously, you wouldn't want to see it happen with an injury, but he's now all of a sudden uh, the backup quarterback in Boulder. How this offense, the numbers are pretty similar to last year. What I mean, is this a better offense? Is it about the same? And what are your what are your thoughts on this offense? Last year's offense, it never looked right with Darren Cheverini calling the plays and being the offensive coordinator in Boulder. This year, yeah, they're not scoring points, but the plays are there. You know, it'll be a the first play of the Cal game, Daniel Arias has a touchdown, but he drops it. Uh, a couple plays later, he drops another long ball. Uh, there was a, a hands-to-the-face penalty when Colorado scored a touchdown last Saturday that brought it back and mitigated a touchdown. So it, it's been like that in a lot of games where the, the play calling actually looks pretty good, and, and those there are plays there for the offense to score more points than they have, but they just keep shooting themselves in the foot. So it looks like a better offense even though – the stat line might not look much better than last year. And Oregon State fans, I'm sure, will remember the the 37 points that Colorado posted against Oregon State last year. Ultimately, was the nail in the coffin for Tim Tibisar, a defensive coordinator. And since then, Trent Bray has has taken this Oregon State defense to new heights. I, I, you know, from what I've heard, you know, in, in interviews throughout the week, Oregon State is very much aware of what happened last year in Boulder, and and very much. Um, you know, hoping to to kind of show the improvement that they have made on the defensive side of the ball, because uh, the 37 points that Colorado posted last year was a season high for the Buffs. And, you know, it was by all accounts, a, you know, a quote unquote embarrassing uh, performance for Oregon State's defense. Um, so, you know, I, I guess we'll see. It's, it's kind of a, a fitting opportunity, I think, for Oregon State's defense to go back out there against that same Colorado offense, which still has has struggled. Um, moving to the other side of the ball, we talked about defense a little bit earlier, but just curious who, who some of the playmakers on that side of the ball are, because, you know, looking up and down the stat sheet, there are some individual performers that stand out. And, and you know, you look at that and you say, wow, how is this defense not playing better? Uh, Josh chandler Samito for one, you know, the tackle for loss numbers and and, and what he's doing there uh, stood out to me. So just, I guess, talk a little bit about Josh and, and some of the other playmakers on this defense, because I think it's important to highlight that Colorado does still have like very good players. Especially on defense. Yeah, we expected Colorado's defense to be at least middle of the pack coming into the season because they were pretty decent last year and they brought back pretty much everybody that was a big time playmaker aside from cornerback where they lost a couple guys, but they had a lot of young talent at that position to put in those spots. And the front seven uh, was expected to be the strength of this team. Very experienced group. There's a lot of fifth year seniors in that front seven, a guy like Josh Chandler, Samato that you mentioned that led West Virginia in tackles last year and Quinn Perry, that was one of the top tackle getters in the, in the pac 12 last year was back. And Terrence Lang, who I mentioned earlier had his first sack against Cal but it was 
this collection of pretty talented guys on defense all kind of freelance in the first five weeks. And uh, it just was not a cohesive unit. Since Gerald Chapman took that group over, he's got them playing in the same direction for the first time this year. And that's why you saw the performance out of that group that you did against Cal. Still, I I would think, you know, that Oregon State will probably score north of 30 points if I had to guess. But uh, again, it shouldn't delve into that embarrassing category that Colorado was finding themselves in week after week defensively early on in the season. So it's middle of the Pac-12 type of defensive unit now that they're finally moving in the right direction. What can Colorado do to give Oregon State fits? I would say fits is is a strong word. I, I don't know if this <laughs> Colorado team has shown through the first six games this year. They're, they're really going to provide fits for anybody. But JT Shroud, again, the arm talent that he has, if he gets a couple shots downfield early, you know, that could really gain confidence for him because he's really never had a, a great opportunity as a starting quarterback at Colorado. He started in week two at Air Force, but it was miserable conditions and uh, they didn't have the right gloves, so there were a lot of drop passes, and it was just a really tough day for him. Week three, he got the start against Minnesota, but they rotated quarterbacks every series, so he not, never got in a rhythm. And so uh, he's got a, a lot of arm talent. He just really hasn't had much of an opportunity. So that's kind of a, an unknown that could possibly put it together in the game. And then defensively, last week they really got after Jake Plummer uh, – Cal's quarterback. I mean, they, they had 10 tackles for a loss in that game. They brought a corner blitz on a critical third down late in the fourth quarter and got a sack there. So they're doing a lot of different things defensively to put pressure on the opposing quarterback that they hadn't done previously. So it one sounds the, like that matchup between Shrout and Oregon State secondary is going to be a fun one to watch. One of the talking points in Corvallis this week on the Oregon State side of things has been the difference in play at home versus on the road. And, and, you know, Oregon state has been, uh, you know, a, a dominant home team for the last couple of years under Jonathan Smith hasn't played so well on the road. We saw that of course, last year in, in Boulder this year, you know, Colorado, uh, very same, you know, very similar situation has, has really struggled on the road. In in fact, you look at the numbers since the start of 2021, Colorado, 0-8 on the road, Oregon State 8-1 and at home. So you look at those numbers and you say, okay, well, Oregon State's you know got a clear advantage in this game as far as that's concerned. Um, we have heard from Oregon State that you know it's it's the energy at Reeser that that helps particularly the defense play at a higher level. Curious from from your perspective and, and looking at Colorado, is there anything to explain why the buffs have struggled so much on the road? Cause I mean, for Oregon state, at least from, from what I'm hearing from them, it's, it's totally, it just comes down to energy. Yeah. It's this year. It was going on the road down to air force in, in brutal conditions that, that, and, and they fumbled the first snap and it just snowballed out of control. Uh, Minnesota, I was really exploiting some running lanes in that football game. And again, a lot of Colorado players trying to freelance in there. And so Minnesota could pretty much name their score in that game. And they're a pretty talented team. So, uh, you know, some of it's been bad weather and, and tough matchups that Colorado's had on the road. Last year, they had a tougher road schedule than they did schedule at home. So that played into it a little bit. But yeah, no, and I think anytime you have a group like Colorado that, that's got a little bit of a fragile psyche, it's going into a hostile environment. It, it can, uh, that happened down in Tucson here a few weeks ago. It was 
the first couple of plays didn't go right. And they didn't have that crowd behind them kind of cheering them on to get past that. And so they, they turtled pretty quickly in that game. And that's something we've seen out of this group. Mike Sanford says he's going to change the whole way that they prepare for a game on the road, especially with the being in Corvallis and the fact you can't fly directly into Corvallis. So uh, they used to put on suits and, and take pictures as they're getting on the plane. They're all going to wear suits uh, sweatsuits and they're going to get off the plane and do a workout right on the tarmac there. Uh, they're going to do some uh, pool workouts that night. I don't know if that helps at all going into a game, but it's nice that Colorado's head coach is at least trying to do something going on the road that's maybe different than what they did previously under Carl Durrell. At least they're going to have atmosphere though. It's not like Stanford when you go to Stanford <laughs> and there's like no atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. Even, even in the what is expected to be rainy conditions in Corvallis, which feels weird to say because, I mean, we're going on like month five now of essentially no rain. Um, I'm looking outside right now and, you know, we've, we've got clouds coming in. The smoke is slowly starting to clear out. Um, but air quality and, and, and sunshine have been kind of the name of the game the last few weeks in, in Corvallis. Now we've got what potentially could be a wet game. It's going to be really cool down in the fifties in Corvallis. And I know that Mike Sanford mentioned in his uh, Tuesday press conference that Colorado is preparing for the rain. Um, watching Colorado play at air force early in the season. That was like probably one of the worst weather environments we've seen in college football so far. Curious how much maybe that prepared the buffs to play in an environment where there's probably going to be some mist. There might be some showers. Maybe it's a little windy. Uh, you know, how much do you feel like that maybe prepared this team? Because Oregon State hasn't faced it yet. Well, they they know how miserable it was. And, and I think there is something to be gained from that experience, especially the receivers uh, had these gloves that they were wearing that weren't made for rainy conditions. And then they shed the, the gloves and try to catch barehanded and they were dropping either way. So they've been testing out different gloves this week, which uh, because of that air force experience uh, they've done that. So yeah, we saw Mike Sanford trying to with his spray bottle, trying to get everybody wet during prayer. I, I, I don't know how much you can really simulate rain unless mother nature intends for it to be that way. So I, I like that they're, they're trying these different things. And I think the gloves on the receivers and, figuring that out would help quite a bit versus what we saw down in Colorado Springs earlier this year. Cause that, that was pretty ugly yet. Yeah, and all the reporters were wet in the post game was in basically a, a big closet. And so everybody smelled. It was, it was, <laughs> it was just an awful Saturday down there at the Academy. <laughs> so what moving on now, kind of bigger picture, Colorado is obviously going going to be doing a rebuild. Um, not unlike what Oregon state has gone through, you know, in the past five years, what do you think it's going to take to rebuild this program? It does have a, a rich history. What what do you see the the AD doing? I think you need to find a head coach that has a lot of charisma. It's kind of like we've seen Mike Sanford here since he got named the interim head coach show. Uh, it's really energized everybody around the program, which, again, beating up on a guy that, that just got fired is, yeah. is, is kind of the low-hanging fruit, but – Carl Durrell just did not have a personality. And when you don't have a personality as a head coach, it's hard to attract top level recruits. They're just not going to buy into that vision. They might respect you, but they're not going to commit to your college. And so that was an issue during his tenure. He showed a pretty decent eye for talent. You know, they got a lot of true freshmen playing on the team this year, but 
for the future of Colorado football to you know, be back to going to bowl games on a consistent basis. They're going to need somebody in that hedge coaching seat that can sell the positives of the University of Colorado. There's some academic barriers in terms of bringing in second and third year transfers. So basically any guy they bring in from the transfer portal has to be a first year college guy or a graduate senior. So that's a shallow pool that they're fishing in in 2022. You need to utilize a portal. So that, that's a big hurdle that the next head coach is going to have. And so they need to have somebody that is going to be able to work past that barrier and really sell the university. I look at what Jed Fish has done down in, in Arizona. Similar personality, being being able to sell Arizona football like he did and doing that you know, for Colorado's next head coach, I think would be key because there are a lot of positives for Colorado. And a lot of kids would love to go play in Boulder, but they just haven't had the recent success. And they haven't recently had the personality and the head coach to land the guys that can really turn this program around long-term. Is Sanford, do you believe, going to be a, a candidate? He's got a great tryout here because they've got some really tough games coming up on the schedule. It starts with Oregon State, obviously, this Saturday, but they play Oregon, USC, and Utah left on the schedule. When he took over, they were 0-5 and unquestionably the worst Power 5 program among the worst FBS programs, even you know when you throw the group of five schools in there. So it was really down when he took over. One Saturday, it looked great. If he can somehow go four and three, I don't know how you don't give him the job, but I also don't see how this team's going to go four and three. So it's not likely that he's going to be the permanent head coach, but if he keeps winning games, they're not going to have a choice but to keep him around. One thing's for sure is, and, and this will be our, our last point before we get you out of here, Adam, thank you again for, for taking the time with us okay. here on this Thursday. But one thing's for sure, Colorado is going to have fan support. I mean, I, I look at the attendance numbers from last week. I don't know if there were actually 50,000 fans in the stadium. You can probably speak to that better than I can. Um, but the attendance number is, is impressive for a team that, you know, at that point had not won a game. I remember going to, to Boulder last year and seeing the turnout and, and feeling the energy at, at Folsom Field and, I mean, it was like nothing I've ever experienced from a team that, you know, has the record and, and, you know, has the, the offensive and defensive numbers that the Colorado's had. I, I think back to Oregon state at its lowest points back in, you know, 17, 18, there were maybe 15 to 20,000 fans in the stadium. It was quiet. There was no home field advantage whatsoever. It, it's impressive to me. And, and I, I think Colorado fans deserve a shout out for just, yeah. you know, everything that I've seen from them throughout this, a really rough stretch of play uh, to show up and, and to support the program as, as much as at least from an out, outsider's perspective, it, it looks like. But um, Adam, just kind of curious on on your uh, assessment of how engaged the fan base is, how engaged it has been, and, and how engaged you expect it to be in the future throughout this process. Yeah, it really is impressive. Uh, Colorado fans don't deserve the product that they've gotten on the field the last 20 years, that's for sure. Uh, but they keep showing up and Folsom field is a pretty awesome place to watch a football game. And, and it, you're so close to the field too. You know, a lot of these stadiums, there's a lot of space between the football field and the sidelines and, and where the, the crowd starts at Folsom field. They're right on top of the action. And that's what can make it a pretty intimidating environment to be on, on the road because uh, uh -oh, got we're getting those... spotted again. Sorry. Oh, in the chat. Yeah. In the I'll, chat. I'll take care it's of the it. Same... Go... Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> We we had we had a, a bot Tinder kinda. Tinder hot bot. 
Okay. <laughs> but no, yeah, Colorado fans have been great. And, and uh, you know, they've allowed me to continue to do this uh, during some really bad seasons because they keep subscribing to 24-7 sports. And so uh, they, they definitely deserve more wins than they've gotten here recently. That's Adam Munster-Tiger of 24-7 Sports, buffstampede.com, joining us here on this episode of the Damn Podcast. Before we get you out of here, Adam, one last point that we need to get your uh, your thoughts on is, is a score prediction. So just a, a quick thought on how this game is going to play out. Does Oregon State get bowl eligible? Does Colorado get its second win of the season, build some momentum? How do you, how do you see this thing playing out? Well, like I said earlier, I think Colorado is going to be uh, somewhere between a winning product that we saw in the first game under Mike Sanford with all that energy infused into the program. And then the flip side of it, what we saw the first five weeks from this Colorado team. So they'll be better defensively, but Oregon State will make enough plays. And I do think it'll be a competitive game for maybe uh, a couple quarters, and then Oregon State will slowly uh, start to pull away in the second half. I believe my score prediction that I've thrown out there is Oregon State winning this 31, Colorado 17. And now that 17 uh, is banking on JT Shrout, uh, you know, being able to get a couple of shots downfield because Colorado's offense has struggled to score this this season. And I know Oregon State's defense is, is so good. So uh, maybe that's a little bit optimistic on the Colorado, Colorado end, but uh, I do expect them to be more competitive in this game than we saw early in the season. But your old offensive coordinator, Brian Lindgren, who is now Oregon State's offensive coordinator, Beaver fans will actually probably say that there might be a quarter or two that he forgets to run the ball or something. <laughs> Well, yeah, he didn't enjoy it so much. What year was that? Was it uh, 2018 when they came back from 28 points down in the second half? Yeah. And that was, I think, Brian Lindgren's first time back to Folsom Field as a play caller. Mm -hmm. uh, he had to feel so great after that game. But <laughs> we, we enjoyed Brian when he was around Boulder. He kind of had a, a cerebral type personality. But I always thought he was a better offensive coordinator than sometimes – the fans that yeah. play Madden and think they're play callers, uh, you know, gave them credit for. When yeah, exactly. The Colorado, the people who just run quick slants 20 times in a row and, yeah, and pick yeah. up seven yards. X, 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 X. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. He's at Adam CM seven, seven, seven on Twitter. Uh, be sure to head to buffstampede.com for all of the Colorado information you need before this game on Saturday at Reeser Stadium. Adam, thank you again so much for for spending the time here. Safe travels out to Corvallis, and I will be looking for you in the press box at Reeser Stadium. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate thanks, it. It was great catching up with you guys. And yeah, I'll see you in the press box out there at Reeser Stadium. Thanks again. Adam Munster-Tiger joining us from buffstampede.com on the 24-7 Sports Network. Just great analysis I love as, all as these per usual. Experts. Yes, I, it's so much fun to bring these guys on and um, get their take and, and really let our fans see what's going on um, with other sites and what's going on. Angie, let's let you take care of the uh, the Beaver Blitz ad read here. I, we've had some uh, exciting stuff unfold behind the scenes at 24-7 Sports this week. You know, they're they're still they're constantly working to improve the product. Uh, let the listeners know what they're what they're missing out at, at beaverblitz.com if they haven't joined us already. So much content and so much information in the lodge, our message board for VIP members. Um, right now, you can get 30% off an annual membership to Beaver Blitz. It's a limited time deal right now. Um, and then I don't expect any kind of promotions until after the season or toward the end of the season. So um, make sure you jump on. I know we're working toward um, the 24-7 sports streaming channel. That's something that uh, to be looking for, but already some good content 
from a national side, as well as um, what Carter's been doing with, with our live damn podcast and all the videos on our YouTube channel. There's just so much more to Beaver Blitz. And um, so Adam started with, with Buff Stampede at 03. Beaver Blitz actually started in 02. I took over in 06. Um, I can't even tell you how much more content and quality what we've done in what is that 16 years. So jump on over. And like I said, the lodge is the place to be. From an Oregon State perspective, everything that happened throughout the week, Beaver Blitz has has been following things closely as Oregon State prepares for its final game of the quote-unquote first half of the season. I mean, this is game, what, eight, right? Um, but the bye week looming, and, and obviously that kind of signals the yeah. somewhat of a midway point in the season. Jonathan Smith had his press conference on Monday as usual. And uh, I guess just a couple of things that stand out. First, we have to start with the injuries. So Chance Nolan, still not yet cleared. He's, uh, his injury has, has kind of been updated throughout the last couple of weeks. And, and actually, we've learned that he's in the concussion protocol now. Um, so what started as a neck strain clearly is a little more serious than, than everybody thought. You know, he's going on, on week three of being out now. In the concussion port protocol, Jonathan Smith said, you know, we hope that he's we hope and expect that he'll be cleared at some point, but it's it's not looking likely for this week. So Ben Goldbranson gets start number three at quarterback, we assume. How how concerned are you about Chance Nolan and the fact that we haven't heard more and the fact that I didn't see him on the sideline last week? I mean, I hate to speculate and, and you know, this is there are some some ethical you know concerns with with speculating on on injuries and whatnot but i i do think that you know anytime a concussion anytime you're in concussion protocol for more than a week or two obviously it's very concerning um i i actually saw somebody in the lodge at beaver blitz posted a still image of when the injury yeah. occurred and man you go back and you watch a thing and, and it was scary like you could see chances back and, you know, his number and nameplate, but you couldn't see his head. his head. Yeah, Like it looked like, I mean, this is really gruesome, but like it looked like he was headless, <laughs> you know, like his, his neck like was. his head was, was like pile drove into the turf. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, his, his neck and back bent in a way that, that you don't want to see. Um, so I am a little concerned. I, I do think that you know, we, we probably see him by season's end, just considering, you know, the, the language that Jonathan Smith has used in terms of, you know, wanting to get him back into practice and seeing how he looks. I do think we see him eventually, but um, obviously we're wishing nothing but a speedy recovery for, for Chance Nolan. What's crazy about that is when he came out, I actually thought, oh, the next train was a convenient excuse, you know, because he'd thrown so many picks and so yeah, yes, no, hopefully uh, we see him back soon. No conspiracy theories here. It, no. it actually is a, you know, a relatively serious injury. Uh, speaking of serious injuries, Luke Musgrave, Trey Lowe remain out. Uh, not even a, a hint of, you know, oh, maybe we'll see them. Oh, they're getting closer. You know, this is just a, they're, they're not available this week. Um, a couple of guys that might be, though, that, that might be ready to return from injury. So kicker Everett Hayes could be cleared by game day, Jonathan Smith said. He actually, he traveled to Stanford two weeks ago. Uh, we've seen him on the sidelines and, and whatnot. So it does seem like, you know, this is this is an injury that, you know, he might be back from pretty quickly. Joe Golden on the defensive line is also getting closer. And, and Smith said, possibly we could see him this week. But Angie, my question for you is when you have guys like this who are day-to-day, week-to-week, 
is there any incentive in bringing them in for a game that, you know, for all intents and purposes, Oregon State should should roll, especially when you have your bye week next week? Yeah, see, I, I am under that, uh, especially when you look, it's it's a game that it should be on paper is a, is a win. You have a bye week and then you have a very, very critical game up in Seattle when you return. I I'm always more into that assumption that you keep them out and um, let them get that extra rest, extra healing. Um, but I think coach Smith's going to go with, you know, it no, not knowing the injury on these guys, it makes it a little different. Um, if it's just an overuse injury, like a groin, I, I would say Everett Hayes maybe should rest. Um, but if it's, I don't know, I, I would be conservative on it. There is always a fine line between getting guys back and, you know, helping them ramp up and, not wanting to get them back into the exactly. mix too early. So, I, I, you know, we'll see. I, I feel like the kicking, the kicking game has been a little bit limited with Everett Hayes not out there. Attica Sappington has held things down relatively well, uh, but I think, you know, Oregon State's just missing a guy who can kick it through the end zone and, and somebody who has the leg to kick it from 60 yards out like we saw against Colorado last year, um, a, a play that we haven't mentioned yet, but will go down as, as one of the more memorable and in, yeah. you know, my career covering Oregon State that, just absolute bomb of a field goal that Everett Hayes kicked to send the game to overtime last year. Uh, a couple more points from Jonathan Smith's presser. We have to talk about Jack Velling, the true freshman tight end who is is taking this offense by storm right now, I think. Uh, you know, he, he led the team in receiving last week with his four catches, 60-something yards, um, has played quite a bit the last couple of weeks in the absence of Luke Musgrave. And we've seen him step up and, and get better on a week in and week out basis, which is exactly what Jonathan Smith said. You know, he took you kind of behind the scenes, even into fall camp and said, you know, this is a guy who who came in and, and was very heady, learned the offense very quickly. And we saw that show up in his week by week improvement throughout camp. How impressed have you been, Angie, by Jack Velling and, and what he's done early in his career. We talked about this on, on Sunday. As yeah. Well. Yeah. I, I actually, I mean, I'm super impressed, not super surprised. Um, I think I'm, a, I'm surprised by how quickly he is kind of fine tuning his game. This was a guy as a recruit who was, he committed pretty early from Seattle prep, but had tons of attention. Um, I know we, we didn't talk about it a ton um, after signing day, but he was one that was getting a ton of attention from other PAC 12 programs. Um, big time Pac-12 program. So um, for him to stick with his commitment and like I said, I expected him to be a, a guy that might be in, in the mix a little bit, but I didn't expect him to improve week to week as much as we're seeing. Absolutely. And I, I think he'll be a focal point of the offense moving forward. You know, as long as Luke Musgrave is out, Oregon state's always looking for tight ends to step up and, and the tight end is such an integral part of the Oregon state offense that, now, anytime you have a guy like Jack Velling who is out there and consistently giving you uh, receptions and and is getting open as a target, uh, it's it's just so valuable for an offense that relies so heavily on the tight end. On the defensive side, a, a guy that Jonathan Smith highlighted that I think deserves some recognition here is Rajon Wright, who he picked as his defensive player of the week against Washington State. And you know, you look at that and you say, well, maybe he didn't have the best stat line. Jaden Grant stood out. A couple of the, the linebackers had great games. But I agree with with Jonathan. What Rajon Wright has done as a tackler this year and what he did last week, a couple of huge hits and, and knocking the ball loose, he's just improved so much in his physicality, his ability to make key tackles, especially in the open field, which is what you and I all offseason said, 
that's the key for Rajon Wright. That's what's going to get him into the NFL is improving as a tackler. Yeah. And so not only has he done that, but his coverage skills too have vastly improved. And he was solid to begin with, with his coverage, but mm-hmm. he is locking guys down. And, and the rare chance that they do make a catch, he, like you said, he's there to make the tackle. So this is a guy who was on NFL radars preseason, him and Musgrave, um, just because of their, their size, their athleticism. This guy's Rajon is really starting to make himself some money. In, in these final weeks. One more point from the Smith Prester. Uh, Angie, this is a question for you because I, unfortunately, you know, just the, the timing of when this individual played at Oregon State, I don't have much recollection of it, but uh, Smith was asked about Mike Hass, who was honored at the game at Washington State uh, for being inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. I believe that occurs in December. Um, if if it wasn't Dece- last December, I, I I can't remember the timeline on that. But Mike Hass, obviously Bolitnikoff Award winner, came in as a walk on at Oregon State and, and flourished. One of the best receivers in Oregon State history and st- statistically the best. Uh, just I, I guess your thoughts on on Mike and and what he's done for the program. Yeah, I, I just think it's such a good story. Um, I was working at Oregon State when Mike played, so I didn't cover him um, as with Beaver Blitz, but. Um, just what the story is. I mean, it's, it's right up there with kind of the Jonathan Smith story where he comes in as a walk on and next thing you know, he's leading this team that hadn't made a bowl game in, you know, 28 years, 29 years to bowl game against Notre Dame. I mean, just kind of a, a here's a guy, no, no offers walks on at Oregon state and becomes a Bolitnikoff. You know, he's undersized. He's not the fastest guy in the field. And yet he just made plays time and time again. So huge story in those, you know, 2000, those early 2000 years, at Oregon State, um, just a like I said, solid, solid player. Um, I know some other guys probably. You, know, you think of Ocho Cinco, or you think of Brandon Cooks, or James Rogers. Mike has has to be in that conversation as well. And I think a testament to the the blueprint that Oregon State has. I mean, really mastered with bringing identifying these Oregon kids who don't have a ton of offers and and landing them as walk ons and they just, I mean, they explode throughout their yeah. careers. Katana Ladapo is exactly. Is I was just going to say Katana or, or Jaden Grant. I mean, if you're looking at the current roster, yeah. I mean, those two guys, um, Mike Remmers was another yeah. one. Um, I mean, there's been so many um, in Oregon state history. Um, well, I, we're missing like the number one is Jordan Poyer. Yeah. Another Oregon kid comes in as a undersized kid from two way Astoria and, um, look at what what these kids have done. Like you said, it, it is the blueprint and something I see Jonathan Smith moving to embrace yet again. Like you said, Katana Ladapo, Jaden Grant come to mind as two guys that didn't, you know, Jaden was going to walk on at Oregon um, and then decided to come to Oregon State. So huge, huge. I'm going to use that as a, you know, kind of a, a, a turning point here for, for Jaden Grant. Speaking of him, I think his quote on, not taking Colorado lightly and, and we're, you know, we're going to kind of switch back into talking about yeah. Colorado and then this game on Thursday, his quote on that was, I, I think the quote of the week from all of the midweek interviews, we talked to Brian Wozniak, Trent Bray, uh, Jaden himself, James Rawls, Anthony Gould. Um, but what Grant said about, and, and somebody brought this up in the YouTube chat earlier, you know, this game feels eerily similar, but kind of like, you know, flipped to yeah. the 2018 matchup where Oregon state comes in as a one win team. And it really is, is playing with house money at that point, you know, not really playing for much. 
goes into Boulder and and wins that thing in overtime. Jaden said Jaden was on that team. You know, Jaden Grant was a what probably a a senior on that team at that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, he's been here for so long. Uh, no, Jaden, Jaden, I believe was a, a freshman or sophomore on that on that 2018 team, and um, basically said, you know, that is exactly the reason we can't take this game lightly because look at what we did in a very similar situation. You know, the records were similar. Colorado was a much better team and, and was playing for something in, in that 2018 season. Um, just speaks to the the leadership and the composure of, of Jaden Grant to bring that up because I think that's an astute point. I, I think you know, I've actually thought of this because there's that part of me being that I've covered Oregon State. I went to Oregon State. So I have a, a long, way longer history than Carter. But that long history, Carter probably can relate that Oregon State sometimes has a way of just letting down at the wrong, the worst possible time. So I do, and we've talked about this week after week, just the maturity and the veteran group of, of players. I don't think they'll let that happen. I, I do. I think that you have guys like Jordan Poyer and, or um, I'm sorry, I was reading the comments, um, Jaden Grant and um, you know, these guys that have been around the program for so long, they're not going to let them have a letdown, but it is, I guess, in the back of your mind, but Oregon State should be able to run the ball on the, on the Buffaloes pretty handily. And, you know, hearing Adam talk about the passing game, my thought goes right to, well, then that plays right into Oregon State's strength on defense in the secondary. So um, I don't foresee, I, I don't know necessarily if it's going to be, you know, a 24 or 30 point win as some fans are thinking, but um, I, I don't think Oregon State should have problem with, with the Buffaloes. And particularly on defense, going to what all of the defensive guys that we talked to this week said about playing at home and, and having the energy of research stadium behind them. There is a reason this defense plays better at home. And I think, you know, you have to look at this matchup and say, man, Oregon state has its home field advantage. It's playing against a team that is just flat out bad offensively. This should be an opportunity for the defense to go out. And I mean, I'm not going to say they're going to pitch a shutout, but like, if there's a spot to do it, this is the kind of game. So if if everybody is dialed in, if everything plays up to uh, to what it could, you know, we could, I, I'll, I'll highlight this right now in in my Beaver Blitz staff pick, which will come out on Friday. I said Oregon State has a chance to hold this team darn near scoreless. Yeah. Um, so I I think there are a lot of things that are are playing in Oregon State's favor there, and I I am convinced that with the leadership of this team, they're not going to overlook Colorado. No, and, and the fans are going to be into it. The student section is has been rock, rocking, and um, no, it, it'll be, um, yeah. If there's a chance to, to pitch a shutout, this this would be the week. I, I don't know if we haven't seen that. That's a kind of a rarity, but um, yeah, I think you get guys. Brandon Kipper comes to mind. I mean, there's a lot of very veteran leadership guys on this team. That um, and then you look at the head coach himself, very even keel. I, I I'm sure there there's been talk about don't overlook these guys. So let's dive into it a little bit deeper. Let's let's switch to our keys to the game here. Um, Angie, I'll, I'll let you go first offensively, and and maybe I'll switch it up and, and go first on the defensive side. But if Oregon State is going to take care of business, if it's going to win in, in the fashion that we think it could and should do it, how do you think they get their offense? I made my notes here. Okay, so I'm going to say run the ball because yeah. I, I just think this is they have one of the worst run defenses in the in the country um this is a chance let's i mean oregon state has liked to go with three backs well let's let's start with damien i think damien's earned that starting spot let's see some jam 
Um, this should be a game, in my opinion, that Oregon State could go over the 200-yard mark rushing. So I'll follow that up with, and you'll be proud of me. I'm actually typing down what your I know. Look at game that. is this week oh, so we can like, revisit hey, it on Sunday. Um, so running the ball, you know, obviously you want to see the production there and you want to see mm -hmm. the yardage pile up. But what you're getting at is you want to see the volume this week. And, and yes. we saw a little bit more of that against Washington State, too, particularly. I mean, Damian Martinez gets 16 carries, which in a committee is a lot. I think Oregon State was close to 40 carries in that game. Is there a number you want to see them cross? Is, and, you know, game flow will dictate some of this, too. But is there a I'd number like of 200. carries you want to see from oh, them? Oh, carries. Oh, God. I just was going over 200 yards. But I would like the majority of the reps to go to Damian Martinez. Okay. So let's um, say if, if Oregon say, State I'll, – I'll throw out a number for you here. If Oregon State runs the ball 35 times, would you say is that not enough? Or is that – I think that's good. Too much? Because, or? No, I, I think 30 to 35 – would be what I'm I'm thinking. Um, we can't you can't. They also need to practice some passing in there too, and, and mix it up because that is the one thing we don't want to see is Oregon State become um, very one dimensional heading into like Washington, for example. So um, they need to work on that too, obviously, because that's kind of been a, a struggle. I I want to see forty plus carries in the ledger okay. by the end of this game because I think not only would that suggest Oregon State was committing to it, but it probably means A, it was successful, and B, that Oregon State was up by a bunch. Because yeah. if you have a big lead, you're not going to pass gonna be the passing. ball a whole yeah. lot. 40-plus um, carries is is well within the realm of possibility, and I would argue that anything below that might be a disappointment and, and might speak to a, a closer game than we want to see uh, that, uh, you know, that Oregon State at least wants to see. My offensive key to the game is Angie's is a little bit more like you know, game plan based and, and mine is more outcome based. I think Oregon State just needs to score early in this game. Uh, I, I look at what Oregon State has done offensively this year and I say it's a lot different from from years past in that Oregon State always got off to very hot starts. And, you know, anytime the, the other team would win the coin toss, you'd say, oh, this is actually a pretty good opportunity for Oregon State because it always scores on its opening drive. Well, yeah. the Beavers scored on their opening drive against Washington State for only the second time this year. Now we enter week eight with an offense that has traditionally gotten off to slow starts this year. What is the worst possible thing Oregon State can do is is give Colorado early confidence in this yes. game. And, and there's no better way to smash that confidence than to score early and often. So well, just I think, like Adam said, you know, with the, how they kind of turtled, he said, I thought right. that was kind of funny um, down in Arizona when they got behind. And for a team that, you know, maybe doesn't have the, the strongest psyche right now in, in Colorado being a one win team and whatnot, you know, you want to dash their hopes early. It's, I, I feel bad comparing Colorado <laughs> to an FCS team, but that's exactly the game plan to beating an FCS yeah, team. Yeah. You, know, you don't want to give them any glimmer of hope. Any so call. yeah. You know, we don't want to see Oregon State's defense or offense play tight against a poor defense. You you can't give it a reason to believe that last week's success success is sustainable. So I I just think you know scoring on your opening drive or or you know putting up 14 first quarter points I think would go a long way in Oregon State rolling in this game. Yeah, I, I see a comment. Jr. You won. I would expect OSU to go long on the first play to loosen up the D. I I actually can see that too. And that, of course, sets up the run game, too. If, exactly. You know, you establish that you want to pass the ball. Well, Colorado has to respect it. Um, we have a, a comment here as well. Show me the flea flicker. Well, 
I mean, I don't know that Oregon State necessarily needs to pull out trick plays to win this game, but yeah, I mean, it's always exciting. Uh, defensively, do, do you yeah. want to go first or do you want me to take this? I'll let you go first because okay. I went first last time. Let's let you yeah. go. Um, so uh, again, this is more results based than, than anything, but I just think Oregon state has to take the ball away a couple of times in this game. And, and similar to my point about the offense, it's, you know, you, you can't let Colorado gain confidence and, and gain momentum in this game. And the best way to do that defensively is to take the ball away. I, I think this is a game where Colorado needs every possession it can get. You know, if the buffs are going to win this game, it's probably going to be at the last second or in overtime or something crazy like that in a game where every possession matters. And so the best thing you can do defensively to counteract that is to limit their possessions. You know, JT Shrout, I'm looking at his numbers on the season. Obviously he hasn't played a ton, 44.8% completion rate, uh, three touchdowns to one pick. You know, he's not the most accurate guy. Oregon State's secondary has an opportunity to make him pay for it. And I think a takeaway or two will will go a long way in, in separating this thing. Okay, so I was actually going to say they needed to pad their their turnover, their INT numbers, um, because I think this is the week to do it um, with a with a adventurous quarterback that likes to throw. Um, but I will kind of I I will since I don't want to be the same as you, but I do think that is the key. But I will go back to my pressure him, pressure the quarterback. He's new. Um, I don't. I'll say Sac City again because Sac City worked last time. I like my Sac City. So um, I, I love this aggressive defense. Um, and if they can get some pressure on him early, I think that will force him into bad throws, make him in maybe some poor decisions, and maybe lead to those turnovers. Those are our keys to the game, Oregon State versus Colorado. Coming up at Research Stadium on Saturday, we're going to close this episode of the damn podcast as we always do on Thursdays with a look around the Pac-12 and highlight some of the other games around this conference that we love so much. The game of the week in the Pac-12, maybe in college football, maybe the game of the year in the Pac-12. I I don't know. It's pretty hard to beat USC-Utah. Number nine, UCLA at number 10, Oregon. College game day will be there bright and early, dark and early, question mark, 6 a.m. in Eugene. UCLA is a six-point underdog, but man... I've seen so many people pick UCLA to win this game. This has Pac-12 title implications. It's a big one. It's 12.30 p.m. on Fox. Angie, any thoughts on what I think is the biggest game in the Pac-12 this year? Well, I actually think the Utah-USC game was the biggest one because, as you guys know, I really, truly dislike two teams in the Pac-12. That would be UCLA and that would be Oregon. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So honestly, I think this is like the lesser of two evils. I just think Oregon's going to win just because I I really don't think UCLA is. Although I think I would be wearing baby blue this weekend. So what the Bruins have done the last couple of weeks hasn't kind of, you know, opened your eyes and said, hey, I guess Chip Kelly actually has something going here because I my perception of the Bruins has completely flipped. I just still think they're a little soft. I just... But I don't think Oregon's some juggernaut either. So I think Oregon's yeah. a solid team. I don't think they are maybe as solid as maybe some of the Oregon teams of the past. Um, yeah, I I, th- I do think Oregon wins. I would take Oregon um, even without the point, or you know. But I think I will be. I don't even know the Bruin fight song. I was going to say fight on, but that's not the right <laughs> one. So. So no, I, oh. I I think Oregon's going to win. What about you, Carter? 
Yeah, I think so too. I mean, you know, you look at these two teams and the strength of both squads at the offense, Oregon has a pretty solid defense. I don't think UCLA does. And so in a game that could be a little shootouty, I think, you know, you roll with the team that has the better defense. I think Oregon wins this thing, but I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if UCLA pulled out like a 50 to 45 win yeah. or something. <laughs> I, I think this is going to be fun to watch. Again, that's 1230 on Fox. Yes. Uh, a couple other games around the Pac-12. There's not many. There are a lot of teams on by this week. Yeah. Arizona State, a, a two and a half point dog at Stanford. Gross. Don't watch it. Wouldn't recommend yeah. it. 1 p.m. on Pac-12 Network. Nobody's going to watch it anyway. Why do they uh, get then... the 1 p.m. kick? This pisses <sighs> right. me off. Right. Okay. Uh, Colorado. Uh, Oregon State's a 23 and a half point favorite against Colorado. That's, That's our game. <laughs> 5 p.m. Pac-12 Network. Uh, I, I guess a quick thought on the spread, Angie. Is that is that too big of a number? I think that's huge. But yeah. um, just because Oregon State's offense hasn't been that great. So, I mean, unless, I mean, Oregon State is like 24 to zero, maybe. I, I just, Oregon State has not been prolific on the offense. So I think that's a tough one, but. Yeah, when I saw this number early, early in the week, I said there's no way Oregon State covers that because I don't think it can score that many points. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I don't necessarily know that Colorado is going to be scoring many either. And yeah, so I, yeah. I, I do think, you know, now that I have thought about it more, I do think Oregon State has a pretty good shot of covering this thing. Obviously, 23 and a half is a key number. That's three touchdowns and a field goal will get you to 24 and and uh, and Oregon State would cover there. Final game was, in the Pac-12. This surprises me a little bit. We've got a 7.30 p.m. ESPN game. Washington is a seven and a half point favorite at California. That surprises me because Washington has a a good offense. It seems like the media has loved their quarterback. Um, And then Cal just continues to struggle and and just lost to Colorado. And they're only seven and a half point dogs. These two teams are are trending downward. And I, I think Oregon State has to look at that and, you know, Obviously, nobody within the Valley Football Center will ever, ever tell you this, but I, I think Oregon State is thinking those two games are, are more and more winnable by the week. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially coming off of a bye week to get Washington there. I, I think that's a great spot for they the have, Eves, but They have a bye, though, as well. That's, that's true. And and that leads us to you know to the, the four teams that are on a break this week. The Pac-12 has done a great job this year of making sure that one team doesn't have a bye week advantage over the other. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned Oregon State and Washington being on a bye week going into their matchup. Well, that's pretty much how it's gone in the Pac-12. Oregon and UCLA were both on bye last week. Um, I, I think that two teams that need a bye week are USC and Utah after that just after that shootout, a <laughs> physical game. Um, those two teams are, are both off this week, and Arizona and Washington State join them. So four teams on bye. It's a, a small slate in the Pac-12, but no shortage of, of intriguing matchups for sure. Yeah, yeah, that UCLA-Oregon game will be fun to watch. I'm looking forward to that one. As much as I'm looking forward to Oregon State versus Colorado, 5 p.m. kickoff, Pac-12 Network. Hope to see some of you there at Reeser Stadium. Bring some layers, bring a rain jacket. We're, we're in for the first wet game of the season. I'm thinking we might have to turn on the heaters in the temporary press boxes. We'll see. Yeah. Um, that is set to unfold on Saturday. Angie and I are going to be back on Sunday to recap that game. Until then, you can follow her at Angie Machado one. You can follow me at Carter Baines, and we'll talk to you on Sunday for another episode of the damn podcast. Mm-hmm.